Today's show is brought to you by Of A Kind, an online shop for emerging design. For more information, visit ofakind.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 101. Dalmatians. <laughs> of the morning after. I'm Jesse Kiefer, and that voice you heard is not God, no. No, that is... Not yet. The elusive Gentolic. I'm a bit elusive. <laughs> I was clear about the fact that I left, and I'm being clear about the fact that I'm back. <laughs> She's back today. She is, uh, is doing Sari a favor. She's hey, hanging Sari. out with me. And she's going to talk to us about what she's been up to since episode 86, Gentolic. Um, God, was it that long ago? Episode 86. Well, um, I have, I'm wearing a new lipstick. I did switch colors. I'm now onto Plum Paradise, still with a Revlon. Um, you can't beat it. My mother-in-law got me hooked on it. So that's been a big change. Uh, otherwise, I just made some, I made some movies and um, I'm making an, another one starting next month, which I'm pumped about. And um, I, what else is going on? I did that. I think you got married. I got married since. <laughs> that's right. I got married. I got married. Oh, fuck. I did in October. Isn't that crazy? You were there. It was beautiful. It How truly was the wine? Was. The wine was fantastic, which Erin, um, my girlfriend, helped to provide. She did. Can um, I tell you that we have cases of Mencia in our house? Cases. I thought that would happen. I'm not complaining because, of course, my beloved betrothed was like, this is not going to be enough wine. And I was like, are you insane? We're not serving the fucking military. And she but, was. But you are. But we were. I mean, but we had so much left over. Luckily, Matthew Conway, um, lovely man that he is, gifted us a wine um, refrigerator. So it's full in our studio right now. And I feel like such a fucking dick hammer. Every time somebody comes over, I'm like, oh, let me just open up the wine fridge. Which isn't I, even plugged I, in. If I had a dollar for every time Mencia and dick hammer were in the same <laughs> sentence, I'd be. Anyway, that's it. What have you been up to? I, I listen to the show when I can. You guys are amazing. Um, I mean, I've, I've been like going to France and stuff. Yeah. So, um, so that was great. And uh, just like learning how to be a good bitch. Bushwick, Bushwicken, Bishwicken, Bishwicken, <laughs> Bushwicken, Bitchwalking. You know, it's not it's not so easy um, to you know to be a good Bushwicken in this in this weather. Um, it's not, especially when the ice starts to melt and you find how much dog feces was contained. It's like you know the mosquito and the amber and the amber orb, just those piles, those frozen or the piles worm, of dog yeah, shit, the tequila. But it's just not as uh, rewarding. It's not. Um, I can't remember if I told the story on air yet, but I swear, like, I was so, so cold, so miserable. I look over, I see something that looks kind of adorable frozen in the ice, and I just kept moving. I just kept walking because I was like, oh, no, I got to get somewhere. It's so cold. Can't stop. I'm still tormented to this day that it might have been a puppy. Don't say that to me. <laughs> How dare you go from frozen poo-poo to a dead puppy? I don't, I mean, I'm, you know, I keep reminding myself no one in Bushwick would throw out a dog. That is the worst injustice I've heard since. Blue is the warmest color not being nominated for a fucking Oscar. Talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Um, you know, it is it is Oscar Sunday. Are you going to be watching them? I'm not. I actually have a company party. I um, 
It's not really my company. I work, I've been working part-time over at the Ace Hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's very sexy. And uh, we're having a little shindig for the employees this evening um, at Salvation Taco, which I'm excited about. So I'm going to eat me some tacos. So speaking of Salvation Taco, Blue's Warmest Color, which I don't know if anyone has seen it, but it's like the most amazing three hours you can you can. It is one spend. of the most beautiful. Listen, sapphic persuasions aside, and I mean it. <laughs> It is one of the most beautiful and well-crafted films I've seen in a long time. It hurt my soul. It was so fucking good. I was like, God, this is going to sweep award season. Everyone predicted that it would, and then bam, nothing. Preach, girl, preach. Stone cold. So who is in the, the foreign film category? Um, oh, God. Who is? Hold on. I have to think about it. I mean, I, I figure you did some movies. I didn't you know make, about you know about movies. I didn't make any foreign films. I did make a 3D <laughs> alien film. No. My first 3D experience. What is that? Were you wearing a jumpsuit? Of I was not. Was it green? It was. A, it's a sci-fi satire. It's a comedy. Um, I was not. Wear, I was not playing an alien. I was in fact playing an Earthling. But I did wear a fabulous all-black jumpsuit. Um, anyway, blue is warmest color. I don't. I don't remember. You know what? I don't care about the other foreign no, I films. I, I this feel year. you. I feel you on that. Um, how are you feeling about any any other films that have been nominated? Well, Twelve Years a Slave was genius, and I, if, if anything or anyone wins from that camp, I will rejoice because there there was not a single hand I think on that project that wasn't absolutely brilliant. Like Steve McQueen. Good Lord. Have you, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. Okay. I would urge you to... I think it's still playing in the city at, like, I have seen Angelica. I would urge you to see it because you don't deserve to see it on a computer. You don't deserve to have the luxury of being able to get away from how horrific it is. Seeing it in a theater and having it, like, the, the actual terror wash over you without being able to escape. I was plugging my ears and rocking in my seat, surrounded by people who were audibly weeping. I had never been to a movie like that before i've only seen you do that on the subway i only do it on the subway usually when i'm hungover and i can't find my candies my perks my percocets but i <laughs> this was real <laughs> i think that was highly inappropriate it to was totally inappropriate you and i <laughs> you left it so you open. when you dragged me into it you bitch <laughs> no it's it's genius and that is my i'm rooting for that film okay 100 percent. and also um I really hope June Squibb from Nebraska wins just because she's June Squibb and she's like 174 years old and is a hilarious, like tough as nails broad. Um, who you hope to be one day? Who I hope to be tomorrow. Um, if, if all goes as planned, buy tonight at Salvation Taco. <laughs> um, what? Who else? Who else is nominated? Who are you rooting for? You know what? To be honest, I, I, the only movie I watched was Blue is the Warmest Color and <laughs> it didn't get nominated. <laughs> That's a hundred percent true. I mean, I, I I used to really be good at this. You really used to to go see films, and well, if we if we want to get into the nitty gritty of of sex and gender politics here, there's been a big sort of uproar, um, as you all know, about Jared Leto's nomination because they're saying you know his portrayal of a trans woman in um, Dallas Buyers Club is incredibly unfair, and in fact, I Salon went so far as to compare it to. Um, the uh, the win back in the 40s and this is terrible I can't remember her name that beautiful actress um, they compared it to the first African American woman oh Dorothy Dandridge no no uh, winning 
uh, an Academy Award and they were saying, you know, at the time everyone was patting themselves on the back and saying, look how great we are. But the role which this woman was playing was incredibly, you know, cartoonized and Mm. it was and they're saying you know the trans community is apparently upset about the way the dallas buyers club played out and that jared leto is is i think the front runner for that award i don't know what do you think well didn't he make some like kind of offensive comments at the golden globes about like getting a brazilian and and all this it was like all of these cheap jokes about you know i'm a man playing a woman just so you know I'm still a man. Yeah, and um, I guess they also, because it's based on a true story, and they made the Matthew McConaughey character to be, like, the whole linchpin of the film was that he was a bigot. And I guess in real life, he was actually this, like, open bisexual man who was really friendly with his the people he was helping. But anyway, that's my dirt. Okay, well, Jen, best, best like, snack or beverage to have while watching the Oscars? Okay. Maybe Chardonnay's style. Chardonnay's style? Oh, I'll go there. So I haven't been eating meat and dairy. Um, and I've been, so I've been eating a lot of portobello mushrooms and a lot of kale, but the missus made something the other night that I got to say was easy and really fucking delicious. We made a pizza with kale and fennel and portobello and arugula, some garlic. That shit was for real. Now, I, no one told me that you have when you make a pizza, you have to put oil down on the on the wood first. So I did, in fact, bake the pizza into the wood itself. <laughs> so you're like chiseling it off. I basically just like clawed the toppings off. <laughs> anyway, that's what I'm going to be eating. Hopefully tonight after some tacos, I'm going to make a pizza <laughs> the right way. What about you? I have no idea. I have a lot of errands to run and I'm probably going to just end up at like the rec room and be fighting with the guy who takes over at the like eight o'clock time. Cause like the chick who's there around like six or whatever, she's ready to play the Oscars cause I don't have a television. So she's going to play the Oscars. And then this guy, I'm going to have to fight with them and be like, okay, I understand you got to play your music, but can you just do that during commercials so right. that we can watch the rest of the Oscars? And by Jesse fighting with him, she really means I'm going to be fighting with so, him. I just assume. I mean, I just, I, I'm the pit bull of this relationship. <laughs> As I a good Bush that. Wiccan, I have my bodyguard. So, um, so that's She's ferocious. That's, uh, that's how that's going to be going. But hopefully I will be also enjoying some, some fantastic natural wine because that is kind of the topic of discussion. Um, aside from the Oscars today, um, spoke earlier with, um, Hardy Wallace of, dirty and rowdy wines um and we're gonna hear from him guy from california great spirit um super excited about what he's doing and um and after that we're gonna talk with um with my friend nick from jenny and francois selections natural wine gentleman and he's gonna be talking to us about uh natural winemakers week it's the 10th annual one can you believe it? People have been making wine for natural wine for 10 years. Good Lord. I'm already naturally drunk. <laughs> We're going to take a break here on the morning after. We're going to come back with Mr. Hardy Wallace of Dirty and Rowdy. Interested in emerging design? Check out Of A Kind, a site that sells the pieces and tells the stories of up-and-coming makers. The site has featured over 200 designers 
and offers limited edition pieces you can't find anywhere else, along with the studio tours, travel guides, even recipes from the designers. To find out more, head to ofakind.com and sign up for the site's newsletter. Today's music is by Hard Bodies on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And we're back here on the morning after, all the way from California, a natural winemaker, Hardy Wallace, from Dirty and Rowdy Family Wine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you can never forget the family. So uh, it's, there's four of us. So I always want to make sure the, we represent the entire family here. How did you? So I hear and I've read that you're the dirty part. How did <laughs> how did you get the to be the dirty part of Dirty and Rowdy? It's a really long story, but I'll do it really short. Um, so on the dirty side, um, I, I came from Atlanta, and uh, I used to write a wine blog there called Dirty South Wine, and I didn't want to use my real name. Uh, ever because I thought you know if people were googling me for my other job that I didn't want like these like you know wine laden ex- you know exploitations every night of like boy I opened twenty five bottles last night and I came in for a meeting the next day <laughs> <laughs> so I just referred to myself as Dirty from Dirty South Wine and actually that's the, how Rowdy got his nickname too he had a food blog called Rowdy Food and same thing to kind of protect his like you know his real identity um, he just called himself rowdy so when we'd get together it was kind of ah dirty and rowdy are together so it's kind of a grew from that and we decided to start making wine it was a perfect name because not only was it our nicknames but it really represented the style of wines that we loved so so as far as um i mean i feel like a lot of people have ideas like oh it'd be so much fun to start (laughs) making some wine I mean, how did you two kind of get up and, and start making Dirty and Rowdy Wines? Yeah, it, um, we started in 2010, and I had moved to California in 2009. Um, kind of a lot of things changed when the economy crashed in 2008. I had lost my job, and I always told myself that whenever I retire, I'm going to move out to wine country and get myself a piece of land and farm it and get those grapes going. And I know it's, um, you, know, you know, you have the, you know, those fantasies that you have that, um, you know, oh, this is, this, I'm going to go make wine. And I, I didn't know what, what I was going to do. Um, I had, obviously I did not retire. I did the exact opposite thing. I was like, I need a job. And I was able to, uh, you know, long story again, very short, was able to get out to California and, about six months afterwards, I ended up working for Kevin Kelly, uh, who Kevin Kelly has, Selenia, the Natural Process Alliance, and was really one of my favorite winemakers and still is in California. And I went to work for Kevin, and Kevin really encouraged me when I was working for him to start making wine. And I, I thought, well, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the skill, I don't have any of this. And he's like, just do it, just do it. And uh, yeah, we just jumped in head first and... Um, it is a really strange process, and especially, you know, what you think, okay, I've done this now for almost five years, and it's still, you know, every little step is, you know, it's really hard and really challenging, and uh, 
that there's nothing else we'd rather do. So it's one of those things I always think just if there's something you want to do, just start doing it. And hopefully hopefully no one gets hurt. So, <laughs> Well, wine is such a science, and I can imagine that, that jumping into it without knowing much about winemaking. I mean, for me, I very much understand the geography and, you know, the way grapes are grown and, and maybe the region itself, but the actual process of winemaking and especially focusing on a natural process. Absolutely. And I think it, it is such a science if you want to break it down there. Um, you could break it. I mean, but I think there's, you know, I'm still lost in the magic part of it, you know, where it's still, yes, I can break down fermentation into, you know, into a scientific you know, explanation, but really when you sit there and you watch something, especially the way that we work, just happening completely on its own, uh, basically you're picking the fruit and spontaneously, you know, yeast are coming and actually converting that into alcohol without you applying any science to that. I mean, it's kind of the science of nature that's taking place. So there's not a lot of science that we have to do. Um, there's science we can rely on, um, but there's, as far as me coming in and making wine, um, I am probably the least scientific person that's ever uh, come in contact with grapes. So. Did you always know that you wanted to, if you were going to make wine, make natural wine? When I thought I was going to make, when I thought, okay, I am going to make wine, yes, that, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, I just really wanted to make the wines that I wanted to drink. And same thing with Rowdy. When we got together, it's like, let's not focus on wine that, you know, on a business uh, stance where we're like, oh, the market will love this wine or this will make these people happy and we can do this and we'll get rich and because uh, it's the exact opposite. So for us, it was, no, let's, let's make the wines we want to drink because there's probably a 90% chance that we're going to get stuck drinking them. So <laughs> it's always been don't make a lot of wine because if we can't sell it, we have to drink it. So we always took that approach. And for the wines that we appreciate, they've always been the most minimally made wines. And that, you know, I have nothing against wines that are more made or less made. But for the style that I really like, it's always been the ones that whether you want to call them natural or minimal or as hands-off as you can get, that's, those are the wines I really appreciate. Can you quickly, I know that it's a long <laughs> process, but kind of walk me through the process of, of, of you making wine. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the first thing for us, because we work really as what we'd call like negotiants. So um, we don't own any of our own land. We work with 10 different vineyards and we work with the farmers on those vineyards. Some of them are, you know, handwritten contracts that, you know, go back and forth to lawyers and things like that and are very official. And some of them are just a handshake. And, but as we start working with these properties, the goal is to work with them as long as possible. And once you start, the goal is to, you know, never let it go. So we find great vineyards and finding the vineyards is really challenging because especially if you're going to work very hands-off, um, the balance of the vineyard is very important. So you want to get fruit that's coming into the winery that is solid, that's balanced, and that doesn't require a lot of, um, let's call it adjustment, um, because we don't want to adjust that at all. So it's finding sites, then it's working with those farmers, working in the vineyards ourselves. So you know, we work with 10 vineyards that stretch from Santa Barbara County up to almost Humboldt County. So it's about a 600-mile stretch of uh, California that we cover um, with 10 different vineyards. And, and temperature differences, I would imagine. Temperature, throughout. elevation, soil. And that's why we work with us in really such a long stretch. We're trying to find as much diverse terroir as possible. 
Um, so we work with those vineyards, and I, I drive about thirty or twenty-five to thirty thousand miles every harvest, um, just going back and forth to each vineyard. Because even though we don't own the property, I want to be there as much as possible and check on those grapes. Because the th- most important thing we can do is the way that we work is nail our picking decision. We have to nail that um, because that gives you the raw material. That gives you everything that it'll never be better than it is right there. So we work in stress so much on that one moment. And, you know, you might go back to the same vineyard, you know, six times in a week. And even though you've seen it every day, but, you know, last night was colder than the night before. Or this day, you know, it was warmer in the morning. And you're trying to find that perfect balance because everything relies on that. So once we nail our picking decision, hopefully we nail it and not shank it. Um, So I don't think we've shanked one yet, but knock on wood. (laughs) So once we nail our picking decision, we bring that fruit into the winery. And depending on the fruit itself, whether we're dealing with Mourvedre or whether we're dealing with Semillon, and now we make a little Petit Syrah, Pinot Blanc, and Chardonnay, depending on what we want to do with that fruit, um, whether it's going into the press or whether it's just going into um, a tank, whole cluster, we hand sort everything and just kind of lay that across our sorting table and just look for, you know, take out frogs and, you know, rabbits. And no, there's no rabbits, but you will find frogs sometimes. <laughs> and um, take out things that are not um, grapes or stems and put those into tank. And if we're dealing with, say, Merved, we don't destem anything. It's just whole clusters dropped in. Uh, we usually give the fruit a day to rest. Um, just comes in, let it sit for a day, um, because we're dealing with whole clusters, so we have the, the stems there, trying to let the basically the cut on the stem heal. Because um, I can get scientific with that, but I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear about potassium. <laughs> so we take that, and then, you know, a day later, we just we may just gently tread that fruit. Um, and, and treading meaning with just, your feet? With or? our feet, absolutely. Um, I try to stay in touch with everything, hands and feet as much as possible, um, for a couple different reasons. Both, it's really fun. <laughs> and then, for the most part, is um, you can feel, um, you can't tell temperature, really, with a, with a tool. You can't mm-hmm. tell t- temperature. I mean, you can stick a temperature, you know, pull out juice from the tank and say, oh, the juice is, you know, 78 degrees. But that's where you pulled it out. Um, when you're working with your feet and we're working barefoot or with your hands, um, there may be pockets of the tank that are different temperatures. Maybe the yeast that it started going in the kind of the you know the right hand corner haven't got to the left hand corner, so it's 85 degrees on the right hand corner, and it's you know you know 65 degrees on the left hand corner. So with your feet, you can kind of mix things up. You can kind of say, "Hey, come on, little fellas, come on over to this corner." And so it's it's a great way for me to at least have. Um, more confidence and more um, understanding of what's happening in every fermentation. So we'll go through fermentation like that. Once the once we achieve dryness or once fermentation is over, we press the fruit gently and say if we're dealing with the reds, they just go and age whether in, we have a couple 600-liter barrels, so kind of very large format, old barrels that are about five to nine years old. Um, and they sit there through malolactic fermentation, and depending on the wine, they might spend three months in barrel, they might spend 12 months in barrel, and then we gently bottle those off. Um, we will, when we need to, we will use sulfur. So I, I'm not a non-sulfur person. Um, I love non-SO2 wines, a lot of them, but I have yet to get to a point where I'm confident with the wine that I've made um, going that route yet. Um, that is a goal, though. Um, but I definitely want to make sure that, for me, 
Um, and for the people that are drinking our wines, that they're getting something that is um, as great as possible. You know, that, that's our goal besides making wine that we want to drink, but we're, we're trying to make great wine. And I, I don't know if we've achieved it yet, but that's the goal. So if that requires a small dose of sulfur towards bottling, um, that's what we'll do. Now, your white wine is, is made in a process that I don't, not all of your white wine, but specifically yep. the Semillon, um, is made in a process that I think most people in the U.S. aren't familiar with. I mean, it's kind of a traditional process oh. in, say, Slovenia, uh-huh. um, you know, uh, Emilia-Romagna. But um, tell, me, tell me that process yeah. that you're going through with that. So with our Semillon, um, and Semillon's traditionally a grape, um, most, um, probably most well-known for being a blending grape in Bordeaux, so usually blended in with Sauvignon Blanc, or used in some of the sweet wines in Sauternes and Barsac. Um, but then it's also used on its own a lot in the Hunter Valley in Australia. Um, but as far as I had seen so far, um, I'd never seen skin fermentation or maceration on Semillon when we started doing it. Um, I believe it had been happening a few years. I know there's a few folks in Australia that had been doing it before um, we started, but I had never seen it before. And I thought, oh, this, this could be kind of interesting. Let's, let's do maceration. Let's do skin fermentation on Semillon. But I was really nervous the first year we started working with it. So I thought, well, let me do a little bit on the skins. And we'd also bought a concrete egg, um, which is basically a giant um, you know, thing from like Mork and Mindy. It's like a six-foot-tall, 600-liter concrete egg that you ferment wine in. So it's technically a tank, but it looks like an egg, and it's concrete. So I thought, <laughs> why don't we do you know, part of it on the skins and part of it on the egg, and maybe one part's going to be good and maybe one part will be bad, but you know, at, at least we can kind of have this experimental, you know, experimentation, and for me, that's, um, that's how I learn. Um, I, I don't have the education. I don't have all this experience. It's just, just do something and see what it does and hopefully remember and say, oh, did that work last year or not work this year? So we fermented um, our first vintage 50% on the skins and 50% in the concrete egg. And that 14-day or 15-day that, that it took to ferment on the skins, we pulled up so much texture, so many incredible aromatics. And I always like to say with that, the skin fermentation, it was like we took you know, a piece of music or the radio, and you're like, oh, the radio's now at like 5 or 6. We just went over to the radio and turned it to like 8.5 or 9. Not 11. No, not 11, no. <laughs> no. That's, uh, there are some orange wines that totally go to 11, and I like those a lot, but that that's, wasn't what we were going for. So we wanted to increase what we thought was still there in the vineyard. We didn't want to change it. But at the same time, what we had in the concrete egg was producing this really amazing, like, set of aromatics and texture. You know, one wine's a little bit more burly and a little bit more grippy, and the other one's more, like, you know, almost waxy and, like, high-toned. But they're like, ah, let's see if we put those things together. We put them together, and it's almost like, you, you know, instead of hitting two notes on the keyboard, you hit three. Like, we had this magical chord that was like, oh, and it was like skin-fermented and concrete egg-fermented semi-on meat, and... Uh, you know, now we're on our third vintage of that wine, and it's it's really, it's one that's really special to us. Um, we're known for we, we make seven single vineyard Mourvedres. We're known for the reds. You know, a lot of people know us primarily for that. But our Semillon, there's something about it that again, if if Rowdy and I ever had a ch- chance to just make one wine, it, it's that wine for sure. So, I met you. Um a few, I guess, yeah, it was about a month ago oh. at uh, at Le Dive Boutel, which is a, a big natural wine. I, I call it a natural wine prom, <laughs> um, but a big natural wine festival. And 
you were the only producer from California uh-huh. from the U.S. Well, at actually, all. There were two from the U.S. Oh, there but were. I was the only from the okay, California. Okay, I missed. Yeah. I missed the other one. Yeah. But I'm not going to worry about that. <laughs> um, is there a natural wine movement in California? Because that to me says. Hmm? Yeah, I, I think there is. I think you know, but I, I think for a lot of us, you know, there's. You know, I could probably look 10 years ago and, and then five years ago and say, okay, maybe 10 years ago there was one person that would you know, stand up and say, natural wine. And then five years ago, maybe there was two. And now, you know, three years, there's 10. And, you know, we're still probably, I could probably say, I don't know, there's 15 or 20 of us or so that, um, you know, if that's a movement among 5,000 wineries, sure. Um, but I, I think there's, there's definitely a lot of folks that are working very consciously, very minimally, and... Um, but I think more than anything, more than calling it a natural wine movement or anything, it's just it is this movement of wine. And it's people it's another generation and it doesn't make a difference if they're twenty years old or fifty years old. It's another generation of people that are you know, they were turned on by different wines in their lives. It wasn't just, you know, you know, Bordeaux, it wasn't just Napa Cab. They found these wines that were at Ladiv or folks that were very similar to that, and those are the wines that inspired them. So it wasn't just looking and at, you know what's next door, or what's on you know what's in this magazine, or what got a hundred points here. It's now like, what what turned you on? And a lot of folks are now just following that path, and it's almost not for natural wine's sake. It's for what do we want to drink? So I, I think there is a movement, but I think it's it's so being natural is part of it, but it's so much more than that now, which is incredible. Hardy, thank you so much oh. for stopping by the morning after. Hardy Wallace of Dirty and rowdy family wine. Thanks for having me. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. And we're back here on the morning after. It's Natural Winemaker Week, put on by Jenny and Francois Selections in studio. Nick Gorvich of Jenny and Francois, welcome to uh, the morning after. Thanks. What's going on? Not a lot. Natural wine is what's going on, Nick. That's right. So why do natural winemakers need to have a week devoted to them? You know, it's something uh, Jenny and Francois started doing like 10 years ago. They really just kind of wanted to bring the spirit of the natural wine community in France over here. They wanted to get everyone together, um, you know, to have guys from different regions of France, sometimes guys from Italy, guys from America now, just to get everybody in the same place and just kind of have a communal event was something they really wanted to do and it's a it's a pain it's a lot of work but uh but some really cool connections have happened as a result of it so it's been a great thing what sort of uh events are you throwing now i know last year i interviewed you about this and i made the mistake of misreading a flyer that said dj natural wine but it was just (laughs) dj and natural wine and i still to this day want there to be a dj dj natural wine but aside from dj natural wine uh what sort of events i think are you, you might be dj natural wine <laughs> i think you might be as well i think so too i'm okay I okay i'll work on t-shirt. that later <laughs> work on that after the show um but what other events are you guys doing uh so we did a big tasting at aster wines yesterday uh, there were some seminars going on there um 
There's a bunch of free tastings in stores. There's some winemaker dinners that are all totally sold out, super popular. What what sort of restaurants are you uh, doing the dinners at? Doing one tonight at the Farm on Adderley in Ditmas Park. Fantastic farm-to-table restaurant um, with three winemakers. It's like 30 people are eating there, I think. And I'm doing another one Wednesday at Aska in Williamsburg um, with Dirty and Rowdy Wines. Uh, I'm doing a big party at the Wythe Hotel Tuesday night. That's kind of the main thing. If you want to get on in on Natural Winemakers Week at this point and you haven't bought a ticket already, you can definitely get in there. 8 p.m. Tuesday. Sweeping view of the Manhattan skyline. Mm. Uh, all the winemakers will be there. It's pretty pretty crazy event last year. We were all uh, there quite late. <laughs> Who's DJing it? Aside from DJ Natural DJ Wine. Natural wine. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I think Jules did it last Are year. Are you guys doing right? it in Reynard or it's in the hotel? No, it's itself? upstairs. Okay. It's like on the on the top floor. It's um it's all glass like on one side. So you oh can man, see the, that's hot. The skyline. Yeah, it's sweet. Well, aside from 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 the dinners, um what's what is important about natural wine? I mean, I know that you want to get everybody together, but what is I mean, it was fantastic to talk to Hardy from Dirty and Rowdy earlier today. Um you know, I was at Ladiv. I keep talking about this, but you know, what's important about natural wine? Uh, you know, for us, the thing about natural wine is it's uh, it's kind of like the old school, low tech approach. You know, it's the way wine used to be made, and um, I think really the the biggest thing for us is the taste. We like the way it tastes. It doesn't assault your mouth. It doesn't poke holes in your cheeks and. Uh, you can wake up the next day and feel okay. It's uh, it's wine that's made with a lighter touch because it's not using all kinds of modern, newfangled technology to uh, control the wine and push it in a, towards a certain mass market palette or any of that stuff. It's just a simple product. It's more subtle. We like that. When we were when I was talking with Hardy earlier, he was saying that he uses um, minimal sulfur at bottling. Yeah. He's not ready to to not use sulfur. And I, you know, as someone who runs a wine bar, I often get the question, you know, or I, not the question, more the statement, I'm allergic to sulfites. Um, can you just explain, I, I really, because you're very immersed in it, for those people out there who do feel like they're affected by, by sulfur, by sulfites. Um, you want a little sulfur treatise? I want, yeah, I want <laughs> okay. it. All right, so sulfur is used in, in a lot of different ways in making wine. Um, one, the first way would be to treat the grapes themselves when they're growing on the vines. So there's a lot of potential for mold within a grape bunch. There's a lot of moisture. And if it happens to be a moist year, they might have to use a little more sulfur spray than normal or copper or whatever. But um, sulfur helps a lot with that. The second way would be um, most wineries, when they bring in the grapes and they press them, they're adding sulfur right away. They like to kill off any yeast that might be living there. Um, they call it inoculation. really kind of like sterilizes the wine, prepares it to be inundated with whatever they're going to put in there um and then the third way is in the bottle before it's uh put in the bottle and transported to wherever it is they just dose it with a little bit of sulfur to stabilize it and protect it through travel and that kind of thing it's, it's just a preservative basically what is a sulfur in its its natural form or at least the, the form in this context look like is it, uh, it comes in like different forms um actually like when i was with hardy in france it was interesting to see he, he wanted to see what sulfur these guys were using and they had this powdered stuff that he wasn't really familiar with and apparently like in california they use a lot of this liquid stuff and it's pretty toxic stuff sounds like throwing dish detergent yeah this <laughs> stuff was like uh i think volcanic you know and it's just it's just powder it doesn't really have an odor at all and it, he was like wow this is great you can really it's gentle whereas like this other stuff is like you got to wear gloves and yeah hazmat suits and wow. et cetera, et cetera. 
So, like, minimal use of sulfur is, is literal, where he's just, like, got, like, a tiny little dropper in a hazmat suit. Yeah. <laughs> no, not no, at all. Hardy does not wear a hazmat suit. He does not. Does I not can't imagine. You. He can't fit those glasses over one. No. no not at all. Um, what other, I mean, what other aspects of, of winemaking make it a natural process? Because winemaking itself is, intervention has to happen. You don't just throw grapes on the floor and they turn into wine. Sure. It's, it's, uh, for me, it's kind of a continuum. You know, there's no absolute, like, this is natural winemaking, but the, the sort of goal you're aiming towards is as little intervention as possible. Um, and everyone has a different theory on how that happens exactly, what their path is to minimal intervention. You know, some people think one technique is too much, and some people are like, no, that's fine, I'll, I'll do that, why not? Um, so it's kind of like each winemaker's choice, how they feel like. But the, but the main aspect is that they're trying to evoke the terroir, they're trying to evoke the soil, of where the vineyard is, and um, however they get to that, they're trying to do it in a natural way, to simplify it. I feel like there are a lot of conversations about organic, biodynamic, there's Demeter certification. Um, Is there really any way to define someone as being a completely natural producer, winemaker? Uh, I mean, if someone doesn't use any additives whatsoever, doesn't use any sulfur, doesn't age the wine in new oak, uh, you know, I think there's not many people out there that would be able to argue that's an, a, not a natural wine. Um, but then there's all the gray in between that. You know, there's all the other things you can do. Maybe use a little bit of sulfur like Hardy. Personally, myself, I still think that's a natural wine. There are people out there who say that's not a natural wine, but I don't agree. Um, I guess, and and kind of lastly, as far as um, as far as natural wine in California goes, um, and 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 as far as natural wine in the U.S. goes, is there? Do you feel like a movement happening? Yeah, you know, in a movement, in a sense that there's a group of guys that uh, that like the kind of wines that we work with from France and and uh, and Italy to a large extent. It's growing too. Um, there's a group of guys in California that are into those wines too, and they're trying to make the wines that they like to drink. So yeah, it's it's a movement. It's uh, it's expanding slowly. California is kind of the nexus of technological winemaking in the world. So it's a it's a uphill climb, but yeah, it's growing. Sure, it's a movement. Nick, I I want to say thank you for doing DJ Natural Wine, <laughs> and for for being the the natural wine ambassador for and what until the sixth, correct? Yeah. Yeah, until the 6th. <laughs> Gentelic, are you going to be going to the Ides with me? Of course. I don't know what that is or where it is, but I am <laughs> down. Top of the White Hotel. Isn't that where you had your honey... Or not your honeymoon, but your... Uh, your I had the fir- we had the first half... Or the first leg of our honeymoon. The American leg. The, the Western leg, if you will, of our honeymoon. The left leg. The left leg was um, <laughs> at the wife. Yes, it was. I'm a very big fan of the wife and of Reynard. Many friends that are employed uh, under that roof. And... Many fun, fuzzy memories. I think a lot of people maybe don't know there's a bar on the top there. Yes, it's and it's lovely. Spectacular. Great. Well, they all know now. <laughs> 6,000 people just hopped into a clown car and were like, to the wife! <laughs> Immediately! Are there, I mean, but there are, there have to be still uh, in-store tastings that people can go and attend. Yeah, absolutely. There's a bunch of in-store tastings. Uh, there's a bunch today. I think there's one starting in 10 minutes, actually, at Appalachian Wines on, on the west side of Manhattan there. Um, we have all the information on our website, jennyandfrancois.com slash nww14. Can you spell Francois for us? F-R-A-N-C-O-I-S. It doesn't have a little squiggly. 
It does, but not on the website. But not on the website. Which accent is that? Not grave, not circumflex. It's a city, I think. Thank you. (laughs) Nick does speak French. It was very helpful. Listen, man. When I was in France trying to... I took one semester of French, (laughs) and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn some totally impractical languages. (laughs) Like Polish. I could have used you in the Polish deli I was in. Uh, on Call Tuesday. me next time. Yeah, I really <laughs> should have. Done that. I got you. Not only, I want to have a conversation about winemaking in Poland. That's some territory that has not yet been traversed. <laughs> Somebody's got to be doing it somewhere. Listen, I ate a shit ton of berries when I was there. So I'm just saying, there's got to be some grapes somewhere. There's got to be some fermentation somewhere. Somebody's got to be firm. Listen, I'll tell you what they're making in that region of the world. It's not wine. It's it's fucking like moonshine of the hills. When my dad was in... Hill people moonshine. When my dad was in Kosovo, which is not Poland, um, (laughs) he got violently ill and was healed with a bottle of rakia, which is like Serbian moonshine. That shit is the real deal. He's just emerged from his blackout. <laughs> Pretty much, and this was like 2001. <laughs> it's time for Jenny and Francois to pick up uh, the spirits. Rock- Polish spirits. Rakia. Rakia. Little Rakia. We're on it. I already just, I was on my smartphone right now, <laughs> faxing the guy. Uh, speaking of, um, I want to say one thing while we're on it, just because I won't have an opportunity otherwise. There is a brand of vodka. It's a Polish vodka. And a lot of people serve it as their well. It's not a bad vodka at all. It's actually pretty... No one pronounces it correctly, and I want to set the record straight. It's vodka. It's pronounced vodka. 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 I know exactly it means, what you're talking it about. It means vodka in Polish. People call but it people vodka. But people say vodka. Vodka. W in Polish is pronounced as a V. It is pronounced vodka. And every time I go somewhere and I say, excuse me, do you have vodka? They're like, what is that? You mean vodka? Come on, guys. Jen Tullock, our person for all things Polish. Disrespect the people. Like, like I know what I'm talking about. That's it. To close this out, I'm I'm going to put you on the spot, but because you were not able to be here for episode 100, yeah, where we brought all the minds of the morning after together, um, I guess favorite morning after. Oh man, memory. There were so many good ones. Um, I think. Well, I always loved having music guests. We always had fun when we brought people in to play music. Um, I think the episode where we had Glad Fanny on, do you remember? Yes. Yeah. Um, who I just got to see a couple days ago. Uh, that was fun. I think that was actually the day where we premiered the Bridezilla Pre-Talk Chardonnays, which I just m- turned into a little video. Oh, can't. is there any way we can watch that? It is on the YouTube. All right. So everyone go to the YouTube Look for Gentolic Bridezilla. And I will say any time that we had Camille on. Because I don't even have to tell you how I feel about that. The only problem with, with having Camille on radio is that you can't actually see all of the hand gestures and the punching and the, just the movement. Um, or the head of hair. Or the head of hair. Yeah, the wild head of hair. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, shout out to you, Camille. Camille, Hello. Jen Tullick, thank ah, you so much. It was a dream. Thanks for, for letting uh, me come on and, and drink Lambrusco and ramble about well, nothing important. You can pop in anytime. I appreciate that. And thank you for teaching us about natural wines and for clarifying my sulfur question. Anytime. Aaron Sylvester, th- thanks for thanks for everything. For, for, for having an opinion. your party. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for your bangs. For sitting my ass I'll down. see you at Planet Fitness. <laughs> yes. Oh, this has been episode 101 of The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.